can I invite you to stand briefly for the reading of God's Word, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 through 17. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. Even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we know him no longer that way. So, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. If you're our guest, it's our tradition after reading Scripture for me to say, this is the Word of God, and then for the church to respond with some level of enthusiasm, thanks be to God. This is the Word of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You can grab a seat. I want to thank my friend Melanie Brown, who's been with us this morning from Bright Star Church of God in Christ, some friends of ours taking pictures for us this morning. Thank you, Melanie. Thank you, thank you. Uh, from this passage this morning, I'll preach from the title, Resurrection Hope. Can you say that? Resurrection Hope. In the Gospel of Matthew, Mary and Mary Magdalene go to Jesus' tomb on Sunday morning only to find an angel perched on the tombstone that he himself had rolled away. And in his gospel, Matthew tells us that after hearing the angel say that Jesus was no longer dead, the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy. In Mark's gospel, after encountering the angel, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome, uh, trembling and bewildered, Mark says, went and fled from the tomb. According to Luke, upon seeing the angels, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground before returning to tell the disciples this surprising news. And then finally, in John's gospel, the focus is on Mary Magdalene alone. After hearing the resurrected Jesus call her name, she turned to him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. What do you hear in these four different responses to resurrection? What do you feel in the hurrying and the trembling and the bowing and the crying out? Let me tell you what I hear. Let me tell you what I hear just below the surface breaking through the previous day's despair and rage and doubt, I hear hope. I hear hope in the women's hurrying from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy. I hear hope in their trembling and their bewilderment in the sounds of bodies bowing down and Mary's cry of recognition, I hear hope. The, the sound of hope also crackles through Paul's praise before the Corinthian Christians. In Christ's death and resurrection, something new has broken into the old. Paul encouraged the Corinthian Christians by showing them that new creation had come through Christ. I think most of us, maybe all of us, 
are desperate for some hope these days. And by hope, I mean hope. Recent years have revealed to us the frailty of hope's many counterfeits. We have watched friends lose their dream jobs. We've watched as stable marriages struggle and collapse. We've discovered the emptiness of consumerism. As the pandemic made plain which of our neighbors are forced to labor sacrificially for our comfort and security. We have had to admit to the tenuousness of our own supposed self-sufficiency. I wonder, has anyone else grown dissatisfied with these false hopes? Paul does not try to convince the early Christians that they should hope. Instead, he simply assumes that because of Christ's death and resurrection, hope rises. And more precisely, that Christ's resurrection has inaugurated something Paul calls new creation. New creation. That, my sisters and my brothers, is the source of our hope. That's what I want us to grab hold of today. Resurrection creates hope. Hard work does not create hope. Our relational networks, no matter how robust, do not create hope. Diplomas and academic achievements do not create hope. Home equity and rainy day funds, meticulous plans and curated self-images, enlightened politics and right side of history opinions, none of it creates hope. Only new creation resurrection can create a hope that is strong enough for our actual lives. Resurrection creates hope. And why is it that we can trust that resurrection creates hope? The answer has to do with the implications of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What the disciples discovered at the empty tomb on that first Easter morning was not some divine magic trick. Neither was it proof of Christ's divinity, though He is divine. No, the implications were actually far greater, reaching thousands of years forward into our own lives today. Jesus resurrected in victory over our common enemies, sin, death, and the devil, to initiate something new. Paul calls this resurrection implication new creation. Can you say new creation? Therefore, Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, new creation. That's a more literal translation. Paul's stumbling over his words here. He seems to be pretty excited. He, he can't wait to get where he's trying to go. If, if anyone is in, new, is in Christ, new creation is what Paul says. It's an urgent message. Of course, uh, Jesus is the creator. 
elsewhere in Colossians chapter 1, Paul will say, For in Him, in Jesus, all things in heaven and on earth were created. The Apostle John in his gospel says that all things came into being through Him. Only the Creator can create new creation. We are pretty good at refurbishing things. Uh, we take a survey of our lives, of our relationships, of our goals, and we, we do our best to, to rehabilitate ourselves, to, to renovate ourselves, to, to remodel ourselves, to patch ourselves together. But friends, you do not need a remodel. <laughs> you do not need a renovation. You do not need repair. You need new creation. This is what Jesus offers to us. And this new creation has a particular uh, feel to it. Paul says that the, the old has gone. He's thinking here of the, the, the law, the law that God gave to show us our covenant relationship with God, but which also served to reveal our sin and our inability to live up to God's standard. That old includes our captivity to sin, our inability to live righteous lives. And Paul says the, the old has gone, and the grammar here is of a, of a thing that is done, that is complete, that is finished. The old is done, the old has gone, and Paul says the new is here. The grammar is different here. Here the language of, is of something that, that happened in the past, but whose implications continue to work themselves out in the present moment. The new is here. And so if I can offer my own translation, it would be something like this. The, the old things have passed away. Behold, they are becoming new. The old attempts to live up to God's standard have passed away. The old attempts, the old struggles to maintain a construct of morality of our own making have passed away. The old struggles to maintain a veneer of self-righteousness have passed away. The old captivities to sin have passed away. The old bondage to bitterness, the shackles to self-hatred have all passed away. Amen? Amen? The old has gone. The old is gone. The old was gone the moment that Jesus got up. When Jesus stepped out of that tomb, he left all the old behind. Jesus took all of your old captivities to the grave, and that's exactly where he left them. Somebody say amen. amen. Help me preach this morning, you all. And Paul says the old things are becoming new. Now, now I like to throw things away. I don't like clutter. Everything I say here is true, and my wife can vouch for it. I get to the point where if something appears cluttered to me, which is a very rigorous standard, I just say, get rid of it all. Just throw it all away. I'm not alone in my neurosis. Thank you. Maggie, on the other hand, is a repurposer. 
she sees the same thing that I see as garbage. And she says, well, you know, we could give that to somebody else who might need it. We could recycle that thing. Uh, We could turn it upside down and turn it into something else. We could take it apart and put it back together, and then it could have another use. I want to confess to you today that God is far more like my wife than he is like me. New creation is not a blank slate. New creation is not God gathering everything up and throwing it out. New creation is not a bulldozer plowing through a city lot, leaving nothing in its wake. God throws nothing away. New creation is life growing in the ruins. New creation is breath in dry bones. New creation is water in the wilderness. So Jesus doesn't abolish the law. He fulfills the law, and he writes it on our hearts. And our old captivities, not just being wiped away from our memory, instead become ground zero for our testimony. Friends, if if death can become the source of life in Jesus Christ, then there is no sin that cannot become a testimony to salvation. There is no unforgiveness that cannot become a testimony to our freedom. There is no addiction that cannot become a testimony to our healing. There is no anxiety, depression, or doubt that cannot become a testimony to the peace of God. In Jesus Christ. I'm glad I'm preaching to a couple of y'all there in the back right side. Friends, if, if God could pull new creation from the ravenous jaws of death, then I say to you with confidence this morning that there is nothing irredeemable about your life. Nothing. God will not waste your tears or your trials. God will not waste your anger or your angst. God will not waste your struggles or your stumblings. Because God does not throw anything away. Jesus shows us that God is not some sort of a cosmic gentrifier. Moving into the neighborhood of your life and pushing everything out that came before him. He does not whitewash over the particularities of the experiences that have made you who you are. I would suggest that rather than being some sort of a cosmic gentrifier, God is far more like a gardener. A gardener who listens to and understands the landscape that is your life. This gardening God knows the contours of your past and your pain, and your promise better than you do yourself. And with the tender and gentle and knowing touch of one who knows the parched place from the rocky place, from the scarred place, the gardening God plants new life in the fertile soil of your soul. Because if we have 
already seen. The God who emerges from the grave with new creation overflowing in his arms is the God from whom all things were created. The God who coaxes new life in you, new healing, new possibilities from the old things of your life is the God who created you. So, which parts of your life have you assumed to be irredeemable? Maybe you've not been able to say that out loud. But based on the way you live, based on the the things that keep you up at night, which parts of your life have you considered to be irredeemable? Which memory, which struggle, which sin, what unmet longing, unfulfilled promise, or uncertain future have you assumed to be beyond the reach of hope? Friends, resurrection creates hope. Would you invite the risen Jesus to plant seeds of new creation in those desolate places of your life? Would you open yourself to the possibility of new creation in the places you least anticipate it? It probably is not going to look like what you expect. Resurrection rarely does. But the God who transformed an instrument of terror into the means of our redemption has the power to plant new life in even the most lifeless places. Now, I don't know all of you, but I think it's possible that some of this, at least, might sound like a, co- a sort of spiritualized sentimentality. The sort of thing that preachers are supposed to say on Easter morning. Because this week, as I'm preparing the sermon, there was a, another mass shooting in South Carolina. And there's talk of genocide in Ukraine. And the video of Patrick Leoya's killing in Grand Rapids was released. And so is it possible that all of this is a sort of sentimentalized spirituality meant to make us feel a little better on Easter morning. I want to remind us that when the disciples woke up to news of Jesus' resurrection, they they also woke up to another day of foreign occupation. They they woke up to, to another day of harassment by Roman soldiers. They woke up to another day fraught with the possibility of crucifixion. So we should wonder, what what was it about new creation which changed their lives, even when so much around their lives didn't seem to change? What is it about new creation that gave Paul, the man who suffered greatly as a witness to Jesus, a completely transformed understanding of the world? We no longer regard anyone from a worldly point of view. 
Paul sees new creation breaking in close, in plenty and in want, in hardship and in fellowship, in good times and in bad. And this is what we need to grapple with this morning. When we're talking about new creation, we're not talking about something that's a long ways away. We're talking about a reality that is incredibly close to each one of us. Yes, Jesus' resurrection is cosmic. It is universal. But friends, it is also just the beginning. If you are a follower of Jesus, you wait with other followers of Jesus for the resurrection of all things, for God to return and make all things new. Christ's resurrection is but the first fruit, signs of what is to come. And thanks be to God, occasionally we have the opportunity to see new creations springing to life in systems and societies. But until Jesus returns, the primary evidence of the resurrection is you and me. The disciples discovered hope when Jesus rose because God's new creation claimed their lives. They could no longer regard the world through a lens of cynicism or despair because now they had tasted and seen of the new creation. I have a I have a friend, Michael, who grew up in the South Bronx, and he has an incredible story experiencing the worst of what the South Bronx had to offer. And then at a recovery camp, he found Jesus. And now my friend Michael is a pastor and a church planter in that same community, doing amazing ministry in the same streets that he grew up in. And when I visit my friend Michael, I understand that he sees something in the South Bronx that I can't see that the new creation that he's experienced in his own life transforms how he sees his community and his neighborhood. I have another friend, David, who started a church a little bit south of here in a community that many in our cities have abandoned, have just assumed to be beyond all hope. But you see, my friend David, he grew up in that community. He was a gang leader in that community and experienced a, a powerful conversion of Jesus Christ because of a street preacher in that community. And now David has gone back and started a church there. And when I visit that friend's church, I understand that David sees some things in his community that I can't quite see. Because he's experienced the the, the radical transformation of God's new creation in his life, personally, close. And so he sees his entire community differently. I'm going to tell you about one more friend, Andrew who grew up in Marion, Indiana, and again, in broken circumstances, and in the the last northern city to experience a lynching. Growing up as a biracial man in a community that experiences these kinds of racial tensions, also experienced a conversion to Jesus Christ. And now Andrew has started the first intentionally multiracial church in the city of Marion in Indiana to demonstrate the power of the gospel to the city that has known so much strife and segregation. And when I'm with Andrew, I, I see a, a, a kind of normal Midwestern town. I, I have to admit, I don't see anything particularly special about it. But when, when, I, when I'm with Andrew, I, I, he sees something different than I see. He, he sees evidence of where the Holy Spirit is working, and, and he, he knows the testimonies of the people that God has done something powerful in, and he sees reconciliation where there used to be segregation because Andrew has experienced new creation in his life. So now he sees the possibility of new creation everywhere he goes. Are you with me? 
we experience this resurrection hope by faith. Not by wishful thinking, let's be very clear. Faith as a, as a way of living, as though the grave were still empty today. A way of, of, of living that shows that we have experienced new creation in our lives. A way of living that sees that new creation is available to the people we love and our neighbors. New creation which is sustaining us today in the hard places and the tender places. We experience resurrection hope by faith. And this is important because there is a tendency to look at all that is wrong with our world, and there are some things that are wrong with our world, to see the countless ways in which the old things seem to be winning, and to assume that the new creation we have experienced must be irrelevant, or weak, or even a delusion. And I want to suggest that that way of thinking about new creation actually has a logic behind it. It's one to which this world's powers ascribe. Effectiveness and influence are measured by how many votes you can win, by how many dollars you can raise, by how many subscribers and followers you can win. Uh, History is told by the colonizer. Trends are set by the the, uh, the influencers. And agendas are determined by the winners. This is the logic by which our world runs. But what the resurrection of a little known rabbi from a persecuted people in a backwater of the Roman Empire, invites us to consider this morning is that the logic of a power-obsessed world is precisely the wrong way to understand the presence and the power of our God. You see, the, the worldly point of view will always miss what a servant God is up to. The worldly point of view has no capacity to appreciate a despised and a rejected God. A God who suffered and was acquainted with infirmity. A God from whom others hid their faces and despised. Friends, if we use this world's metrics to evaluate the new creation quietly and peaceably offered by this God, well, we too will laugh cynically at the hope of the resurrection, which is precisely why new creation must always be received in faith. Rather than allowing this world's vindictive and oppressive regimes to interpret Christ's new creation, by faith, we allow Christ's resurrection to give us an entirely new way to see the world. So from now on, we regard no one, nothing, from a worldly point of view. Which means that the headlines cannot steal your hope. 
because new creation interprets our current events. Sickness cannot steal your hope because new creation cannot die. Injustice cannot steal your hope because new creation will outlast white supremacy, gender disparity, and generational poverty. Violence cannot steal your hope because new creation is even now turning swords into plowshares, spears into pruning hooks, and imperial symbols of terror into divine means of liberation. Loneliness will not take your hope because you are a new creation, a member of the family of God. Anxiety will not take your hope, because you are a new creation, heir to the shalom of God. Unfulfilled dreams will not take your hope, because you are a new creation, a beneficiary of the timeless promises of God. Hope is your inheritance because the resurrected Christ is creating hope in you. Let me invite our our instrumentalists to come back up here, um, also known as Zach and Esther. (laughs) Brent will join them in just a minute. um, Because we're going to end in worship uh, with just one closing song. And, uh, and the way I want to end this morning is to give you a chance to, with your embodied self, say yes to this new creation. Because we live in a world that does not recognize or value the new creation given to us by Jesus. We live in a world that values power and might and spectacle and victory of a certain kind. And the invitation this morning is to allow the new creation that Jesus has offered to us that is close can sometimes feel like a mustard seed or a little bit of yeast. The invitation is to allow new creation to interpret the rest of this world rather than the other way around. Does that make sense? And my hunch is that there are none of us this morning who are immune from getting that thing twisted. And so this morning, I want to I open up a space as we close in worship for, 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 for anybody who needs to say, I need to get, I need to get reoriented. I, I need to allow the new creation that, that Jesus has brought near and made available to me. I, I need to allow that new creation to become the source of authority in my life. I, I, I want to experience and feel and think and interpret my life through the new creation that Jesus has brought near. Somebody say amen. And not the other way around. And so what we're going to do is just kind of make open this space right here for anybody who wants to just come forward with your whole body. We're not going to put you on the spot. We're not going to make you share. Just to come forward in worship as we close in worship. 
and with your body, just make yourself available to the one who has already brought new creation into our world and available to you. Now, for some of you, that might be the first time you have said yes to Jesus in this way. Awesome. For others of us, we've been following Jesus a long time, but we're realizing that I've allowed the circumstances of my life to interpret God's work in my life rather than the other way around. And today can be a moment where we say publicly with our full selves, I I want God to turn that upside down. I want to think about the questions in my life. I want to think about the the, the, the things that are confusing in our world. I want to think about the, the hard places through the new creation. I hope I'm making sense. Because friends, you were created to live. You were created to steward and to cultivate life all around you. In Christ, you have been resurrected from death unto life. You are a new creation called to nurture new creation. Death has no power over you. The devil has no claim on you. And sin no longer defines you. These are all just true things. The old things that are done. Stand on a hope which cannot be stolen, which cannot be shaken, because it is a hope rooted in the one who created all things. So we're going to sing this song, Victory Belongs to Jesus. And there's a phrase.